0: Everyone, I hope you're really, really well. I wanted to jump in here to just welcome you to this episode. We've had a collision of worlds, a joining of forces, a banding of brothers, if you will. Sash from Principal Design and me, I'm Sean from Open Pantry Consulting. We are pleased to announce this exciting venture, Principal Hospitality. Now, really, it's a holistic view and look the food and beverage industry in this country, designed with hospitality professionals in mind. The website's coming soon. Obviously, you're listening to the podcast right now, but what we're trying to do here, our goal is to provide hospitality professionals with a platform to connect with people from all aspects of the food and beverage industry, from business owners to front of house and service staff, chefs to baristas and SOMs. We want to make sure that we are supporting you through this recovery in the hospitality area. So hope you're really enjoying the podcast. If you are, please make sure that you're sharing it with your friends in the industry and you're letting them listen to this because we are really putting so much time and energy and passion into this project and we want to make sure it's delivering for you. Let's get into this episode. I hope you really, really enjoy it welcome to another principle of hospitality podcast it's fantastic to have you listening along so thanks for tuning in as always Our next guest really needs no introduction, especially for our Canadian listeners. Sean Sewell is a hospitality professional who is making the industry better through education, training, and marketing. His long list of achievements in everything to do with bars includes Clive's Classic Lounge, uh, his own hospitality concepts, Coalition Craft Co., as well as two podcasts. I'm very jealous he's actually got two podcasts, Post Shift and BC Spirits, all the way in BC, Canada. Hey, Sean, how are you? Good, man. How are you? Good to have me. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> it, it's fantastic to have you on, mate. So no drummers at all. Um, as we were speaking about um, before um, and as people start to hear, obviously, you're, um, you've got an Australian accent and you're living in Canada. So I want to talk about that in a second um, and really talk about how you start out in the industry because you have, you know, so much experience and I know for our North American listeners and Australian listeners, especially, this is going to be a really important podcast to really reflect on and listen to, because you've been in the game for such a long time, um, obviously in the bar industry. Um, and, you know, it's such a critical point of hospitality moments being created at the moment and, and that being challenged right now in COVID time. So let's talk about how you started out, Sean, and then, and then we'll get into, you know, how you came to start to live in BC. Let's go really old school.
1: Um, (laughs) I I left, I left, I graduated high school in 1997. And over that Christmas break, um, I left home and had to get a job really quickly. So um, during high school, my parents had a landscaping company, like one of the, one of the bigger ones in Southeast Queensland. Mm -hmm. And we would on weekends, me and my brothers would lay anywhere up to like a thousand, 2000 square meters of, Turf and landscaping down in suburban households, like yes. every weekend in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I left, and I was like, Well, this is the experience I have. I, I did well in high school, but I didn't go to university, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I got a job in a hotel. I'm not even sure the hotel still there in Brisbane anymore. It's called, it was called the, um, the Royal Albert Hotel. It was up behind the Roma Street Parklands before they were the Roma Street Parklands. So we're talking like 1997, 98 when mm-hmm. the Roma Street Parklands were still Roma Street Train Yard, and then they did the big development. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a junior handyman. That's what my job was. I was junior handyman. That was my job, like changing light bulbs and washers and raking the gardens. Nice. And one day, um, food and beverage director comes down all sweaty and like bothered, and he's like do you have black and whites? I'm like, yeah, I have black and whites. And he's like, go home and get them. And we all know train systems in Australia, are a little bit different to North America. It's like, mm-hmm. you can literally just jump on a train and be half an hour, half an hour and be home. And you live way out of, out of downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, when and got my black and whites, came back to the hotel, did a wedding that night, had a ball. And that was the bug that sort of, that bit me. Like I'd love to have a romantic story. Like most people like, Oh, I'm third generation bartender. And my mom was a wonderful (laughs) cook. All those things are all (laughs) false. My mom, I'm an eldest of six. And so my mom was a, a a cook that could make food for six people. Yeah. All that were growing very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was my bug. And then a couple of years later, I started getting into the cocktail bar scene, uh, I think 21, I won my first, uh, Australian bartenders guild competition, national title and sort of, it just sort of flowed from there. And I always took an opportunity to like learn as much as I could from a venue then move on to the next venue, learn as much as I could. And I think that's what a lot of young bartenders need to do more often these days is like, Mm -hmm. just suck what you can from a venue and then move on because you're a number to a lot of big venues and why not treat the same way? Mm -hmm. Um, and then I had the opportunity to come to Canada when I was 26 years old. and I thought I already knew everything at 26, yes. like 15
0: years ago. You're I was fine. like, you're oh. old school at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm top of my game. Um, but coming from Australia um, sort of sets you a tone, I think genetically mm-hmm. about being competitive, but compassionate at yes. the same time. And so I came to Canada when I was 26. And I suppose the rest is relatively history that we're going to talk about during this podcast. <laughs>
0: I, would, I always like to talk about how people, why people made um, moves in their life. I think it's really, really important and reflective because I've lived in um, one, two, five different cities now in the last sort of ten or ten or twelve years. Like, what what made you want to go to BC? Was it an opportunity that came up, or was it just you thought it would be a good idea? It was a girl, not my wife, but what it was is, another girl. What, it's always a girl. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: for me. I went to 14 different primary schools growing up. Wow. So like I, I had a transient family. My dad had to move to where the work was. He was a long distance truck driver before we got into the landscaping business. Mm-hmm. And so basically you move where the work is. Yep. And so um, 14 different prime 14 different schools in 12 years. And two of those schools I went to for three and four years consecutively. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine like the real move around. So for me, uprooting your life and moving on from friends and like basic convenience and like being us- the usual was not really anything different for me. Um, I worked on Morton Island for a little bit, which is again, you rip your whole life up, you move to Morton Island. I did Hayman Island in the Great Barrier Reef for a while. Same thing. Um, so Yeah. So for me, I actually came back from Great Barrier Reef in, 2005 late 2005 and i i left for canada in june 2006 Mm. and so for me it was just always this transient sort of mentality um but when i landed in canada i sort of felt like i i found a a home i suppose you know i'm I'm sure you feel as well as you get older you sort of like you jump around you got your mates and you you go out on the ATVs on the weekend when you're a kid or you go clubbing on when you get old enough. Um, but then there was a certain point, I think that 25, 26 mark that I was like, huh, I, I could probably stay here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It's, it's, it's really interesting, you know, how people move around. And, and I think that's one of the, the biggest blessings of hospitality is the fact that, you know, you can do that and you can use those skills at another venue. It's, um, you know, it's a really, that's why I love the industry so much, I suppose. Wait. Um, <laughs> So, so let's talk about BC because um, obviously here in Melbourne, you know, last year we had, you know, over a hundred days where where you couldn't serve a cocktail to a customer in a store, uh, in a bar. And, um, and now luckily because, you know, we've sort of got our proverbial together here in Victoria, like um, not many COVID cases going around, we're able to have, you know, bar experiences and hospitality experiences again. Um, but what's the situation like? in in canada at the moment is it is it feeling positive is it feeling troubled whereabouts it placed
1: I think it's a little bit of both Mm -hmm. Um, on the East coast, Montreal and Toronto, which is, it's about to put in comparison it's about a six and a half hour flight from where I am to the East coast. So it's relative to Australia's size. Like a lot of people don't understand Australia is as big. Like when I explain to people how big Australia is, you're like, no, it's, it's, it's not that little Island on the Atlas at the very bottom. It's actually substantially sized. Yes, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and so we just got way less people in between the major cities on both posts. Um, so Montreal and Toronto are both locked down right now. They've had a, a massive outburst in cases, uh, Manitoba, which is a, a small, smaller province further inland from the East. Um, they've done a full lockdown. Like no one's even allowed to travel to the province right now. Wow. Um, so we're pretty lucky on B- in BC, on the far west coast, especially in Victoria, we've had minimal, minimal cases across the board for the province, for the size of the province we are. Mm-hmm. And then the island that I live on, I know that during the height of COVID, we went six to eight weeks without a case at all on the island. Right. Uh, so we really locked down um and really tightened it up so i'm i think we're pretty lucky so i look at the silver linings always because i got lots of friends on the east coast and i talk to them on a regular basis and i hear complaints about from vancouver and west coast bars i'm like dude these places have been shut down for six weeks again like this is their third lockdown like not the not the second not the first like the third massive lockdown Mm -hmm. um we've been lucky it's definitely changed um you know, we, we, we do mainly two tops now. No, no four tops, no six tops, no large parties. So I laugh with the team and say, we feel like we're in perpetual Valentine's day. Like it, what it feels like is you're perpetually <laughs> like, you know, when Valentine's day rolls around, you're super prepared. Yes. You're ready to go. And there's just two tops, two tops, two tops, mm. two tops. And like by seven 30, you've cut half the staff because you thought it was going to be busy. Cause you've got 150 on the books. Yes. Two tops. It's super easy to deal with. <laughs> so that's what, it, that's what it kind of feels like. It's a perpetual Valentine's day of these two person parties all night long. Oh. Um, so my team's been really good. I've got a small, tight little team um, that I actually flipped the whole the whole team after COVID. Um, apart from one of my bartenders, who's my right-hand guy, um, I'm not working too much. Like I'm an hourly staff member. So as a manager, I'm very wary for the hotel's point of view um, to cut my hours back, keep my staff happy, mm-hmm. not be splitting tips, not doing all that sort of stuff. Um, but overall, like we could be worse. And that's I think that's the way I look at it. Um, I look at that as, as everything in the industry right now is that our industry is the nature of hurdles. Mm. You know, like every day is a hurdle. Like yes. whether it be yeah. your, your toilets plugged or your head chef is pissed because he broke up with his girlfriend um, or your, your cooler broke down or your dishwasher came in drunk. Like these are just, a, it's just, it's a bigger hurdle and one that is industry aspiring. But I feel like as our, in our life, this is what we do. We come yes. into work planned as hell. Like we, we plan a hundred percent of our day yep. in the hopes there's no hurdles, but then there is a hurdle. Mm-hmm. So I feel that's, that's sort of how I feel about COVID. And and that's of thing is like you, you plan the best you can, but then tomorrow the government could slide down a new ruling that completely knocks out your plans. Yeah. You know, in BC here, like to, to give it a perfect example, like, um, the day before new year's eve 28 hours before new year's eve like five o'clock before new year's eve the mm-hmm. government imposed an APM lockout what 28 hours before we were supposed to do new year's eve so everybody's got their everybody's got their new year's eve plans done wow. restaurants have prepped for 150 covers yep. um and they dropped us down, and so I'm like, I I was in a meeting, uh, and my my ops manager for the hotel, sorry, ops manager for the hotel, like called, like text me. He's like, "Did you just see this? What the hell happened?" And I'm like, I can, and I'm like, I don't know. And I'm getting texts from all my kids. All my kids are like, "Is there a way we can get around this? Is there a <laughs> we can? Is there a loophole?" And I'm like, "Wait a second, I'm just got to figure out what's going on here." And yeah, they 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 can't. They said that all restaurants and bars had to stop alcohol service by eight o'clock, and be shut by ten so this was for my little bar, my little cocktail bar at a hotel lobby. I was like, you know what? I I can, I can, I can spin this. Mm. I can spin this. I did a, I I turned the music off every hour. I did a countdown on the hour, every hour, everybody got Prosecco. I was like 2020. (laughs) Let's just do a countdown every hour and try and break this time continuum. And like, let's get through it. But then on the flip side, (laughs) on the flip side, a lot of restaurants um, were calling reservations and saying, Hey, we can't serve alcohol after eight o'clock you want to keep your reservation. And while it's great to keep that reservation, a lot of people said, yes, we'll still come. And I'm like, Oh, you know, from a business point of view, like most New Year's Eve menus run at a, a much higher cost. Yes, You're banking on that alcohol yes. to be drunk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're, you're banking on that booze. You're banking on that cocktail. You're banking on that bottle of wine mm-hmm. um, for to, to complement how cheap you've done this New Year's Eve menu at or yeah. how extravagant mm-hmm. you've done this menu at, at a price. Yes. And, So, like up our Vista 18, our 18th floor restaurant in our hotel, um, they did another 70 covers after eight o'clock dry. Wow. And I'm, like, and I'm like, oh, the staffing and the, the, yeah. And the, sh- and and the, and the chef labor and the, yeah. Yeah. the and like all my guys, <laughs> me and my guys were out by 9 PM, which is like, <laughs> everybody was out and we we're like, okay, we're going to go home and drink a bottle of bubbles with my wife and, and count down the new year. But yeah, a lot of restaurants, they did dry service after eight o'clock. But again, it's, it's just one of these hurdles you've got to sort of tackle and, and, and mm. move on with.
0: Yeah. What what's the government logic around in North America, especially in Canada? I've seen it in some in some states in the U.S. as well about this change in alcohol licensing, like overnight and and all of a sudden we're going to go dry from eight p.m. or or we're not going to allow you know delivery of booze or mm-hmm. like all these things. What is it around alcohol that they're saying to the hospitality industry that? is the reason why they're doing that is it because they feel that people are going to convene together so therefore they don't want to they don't want to promote that or what's the deal
1: so let's preface this all by like the fact that none of us have done this before like like none of us have none of us us have gone through this before like Mm. on both sides the government's never gone through it before they don't know like uh, for everybody who complains about the government shutting down stuff, there'd be the same people that would complain about the government ballsing up something and a hundred thousand people getting infected. Yes. Um, I think that alcohol will always and always in most Western cultures be a prohibitive subta- substance substance. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how liberated our governments get, how liberated our society gets. Mm-hmm. Alcohol will always be seen as a prohibitive substance, which is crazy because in Canada, we've legalized cannabis. Yes, and so yes. cannabis now has a free reign, yet alcohol still has this sort mm. of this sort of malicious thing. And I think um, that's where it's always going to come down to. Mm. And I don't necessarily agree with a lot of governments worldwide pitching that restaurants are the, the cause. There's no scientific proof of it. Yep. Um, but that being said, we are congregating places and we can be compared to big box stores and your Woolies and that sort of thing. And I understand grocery stores, Mm -hmm. but it it is a slight difference in the way of people sitting for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours in the same space, than walking around a grocery store. Mm. So I never want to, I never want to, ditch the government in a way of like you've screwed up like sure on New Year's Eve I was pissed yes, like a lot of, of people were pissed like I mm-hmm. I had a lot of people like texting me going well what's going on here how are we going to deal with this so on and so forth but then on the flip side I'm like you know what I always hope in the in the 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 the, the, the most purest form that the government's always doing what's best for the people that have elected them yes, <laughs> and now yeah. in this day and age that's not always the easiest thing to imagine and uh, as an industry we should push Back, but also as an industry, we need to look inward and understand that we aren't organized enough as a hospitality industry. We aren't organized enough to have a minister for hospitality in the, the government, you know, there's always specific agendas from every advocacy group that we have, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it be the liquor liquor groups or the restaurant groups that there's this. And then every state has one or every province has one in BC in in Canada. Yeah. You know, So there's never a unified thing. There's always a sort of mini agendas and mini kings on their, on their, on their um, thrones yes. sort of pushing this agenda to the government. And if I was the government, it's a bunch of yapping chihuahuas underneath my feet, like barking all these different things. There's yeah. no, you know, when we talk about oil and, and car manufacturing and all these big groups, there's always only a handful of lobbyists mm. that are lobbying for those groups. Mm-hmm. It's not a bunch of people. Like talk, like putting their words out and putting their their agendas out. The government isn't going to take us seriously, mm-hmm. I think, until we start having a unified voice, mm-hmm. whether yeah. it, as a, a real, full-on combining unity push. Do
0: you think that's always going to be a challenge in an industry which is so diverse? Well, like when you look at like hospitality taking in things like hotels, like you're talking about. Obviously, Clive's been in a hotel lobby. Um, then you look at tourism. You know, the tourism sector, then you look at restaurants, then you look at fast food, like, and, and then obviously bars that all encompasses hospitality. Like, do you think, do you think that probably is at the end of the day, like a minister for hospitality in both our countries might be, might be the thing that can make it a bit easier to move forward?
1: Yeah, I think so. That the, the thing is one, the government doesn't understand how
0: big we are. Yes,
1: that's the fundamental thing that the government has no idea how big we are because we're an industry of transient employees mm-hmm. of employees that work one shift every two weeks. Yeah. Or like, uh, do you count that empl- that that college kid who comes and washes dishes on a Friday night? Yeah. Once a week or once every two weeks, is he a hospitality employee? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so. The diversity is from top to bottom, whether it be a QSR or a hotel, and there's, there's multiple tiers in the government that need to recognize this. Like I can say a lot of DMOs, like um, tourism bodies, destination marketing companies and stuff mm-hmm. like that, organizations. I know from my one in Victoria, um, we don't have a food and beverage representative on that board. There's three members, there's three members for hotels, different size hotels, but there's not a designated person in a destination marketing organization that is a food and beverage representative. Mm -hmm. So when it's that sort of mentality is I I feel as as a macro organism, tourism and hospitality, restaurants and bars and cafes and QSRs and stuff are always on the bottom. You've yes. the hotels first, you've got transport. So let's talk coaches, let's talk airports, this sort of thing. And then restaurants and everything behind. Whereas most people, a lot of people come to our cities for the restaurant scene, especially like you're in Melbourne. Yes. Like people make a decision to go to Melbourne yes. because of the restaurant scene. Yes. Melbourne, Melbourne's a pretty city, mm. but they go there for the food.
0: Yes, like, <laughs> not because the warm weather. To tell
1: you that much. like, like uh, there's a certain level of ego when it comes to hotels and transport and all sorts of stuff. Like, oh, you're coming to stay at my hotel, yeah, mm-hmm. but you spend like six hours sleeping in it when you've gone to like this cafe and this restaurant and this bar and yep. seen this bartender and this. Like, let's be, let's be honest. And I think the first 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 and foremost, the government needs to understand and accept how big we are we're, we're bigger than the oil like here in canada we're bigger than the oil industry we're bigger than the car manufacturing industry we bring way more money to the gdp every year mm-hmm. yet we still don't get taken as seriously and we don't have the bailout money that these other industries have yeah i think it's a little bit to do with the government's complete like uh i won't say ignorance ignorance is a hard word but like complete non-understanding of our industry and how many people it supports. Yes. And it comes down to that unity in voice and having that, that group of people that can bring one voice to the government Mm -hmm. because then they'll start listening.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Like if, if you've listened to this podcast um, a couple of weeks ago, you would have heard me talk to um, Andy Hooper, who's the president of Van Pizza. Um, you wouldn't have listened to it yet, Sean, but um, but when this gets <laughs> released, it's, you'll be able to hear it. Um, and talking about how in how in uh, the US the hospitality industry is the second biggest private sector provider of employment, mm-hmm. and so when you talk about you know millions upon tens of millions of people being employed in one sector in one country, I mean that that pretty much needs an any consistent voice. And I think you know out of this time of COVID, I hope that the governments around the world understand. How much, um, and we've talked about it a lot on this show. How how hospitality is about community. It's not just about a paycheck and and the community that it actually brings. Um, you know, customers every single day. That connection with a barista, connection with a with a bartender, um, and and how that you know makes people's lives better. And and I think we need to make sure that we can you know sustain that with um, with government intervention long term. Yeah,
1: but I think it's a little bit of. Uh- we need to stop infighting in the industry as well. Like you were mentioning yeah. like hotels and big restaurants and QSRs and cafes. Like the mom and pop shop shouldn't think any less of the, the Danny Myers yeah. or the the Thomas Kellers in the industry. Mm-hmm. Yes. They've got their own agenda, but that's, that's where this voice comes in. It's like, well, you don't understand what I'm going through because you're one of the big guys yes. or yeah. you have a chain of pub. So how do you know about my little neighborhood joint? Mm-hmm. Like everyone started somewhere. Yep. You know, everybody started somewhere like you, you read Danny Meyer's book and you, and you listen to his, like, I, I don't read books too much. I audio books most of the time. Too. Um, <laughs> but you, you listen to Danny Meyer's reading about his story of coming up. Like he started as a ragtag guy. Yes. He's, he's a millionaire now. He's got a whole bunch of restaurants. He does very well for himself. Shake Shack and all that sort of stuff, yeah. but he started off small. So it, like we, I think we all need to just to stop for a, a little bit sometimes and like really understand the end goal. And it's not just about me or you or that favorite cafe down the street. It's about as a whole industry and Mm -hmm. us failing is, is catastrophic, not just for the lifers that are in the industry, but the the people who do to rely on us as they are becoming doctors, as they're becoming lawyers, as they're doing that, like the amount of people that I, I I'm on a charity board, I'm going off topic a little bit, but I'm going on a charity board where I have to read through grants every single week. And there's people in medical school, that work part-time at a at a bar or restaurant and they can't mm-hmm. do either right now because yeah. of COVID. I'm like, so we could have the next like next greatest brain surgeon mm-hmm. who's dishwashing on a, on a Friday night at a at a coffee club in fricking the valley. Yes. We'll not be able to do that because of like because of the the lack of support from the government and from the industry as a whole.
0: Yeah. No, I totally agree. Let's let's Completely change topic a bit. I want to talk about bar culture, and I've talked about I've talked about this recently with um, Joshua Copel um, in in the US because um, he obviously comes from the bar scene. And you mentioned at the start of the podcast you're talking about serving a lot of two tops all the time. Um, now you're not getting the bigger groups. Um, do you think you know this time of COVID is actually going to change um, bar culture in the long term, or do you think once consumers feel a bit more confident about the virus and, and um, not being, you know, uh, vaccinations and all those kind of, you know, hopeful things in 2021 that the bar culture will go back to what it was before.
1: I'm kind of hoping for a bit of a reset. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping for a bit of a reset going back to the, and it is romantic. And I, I try to look forward instead of looking back, but like the romanticness of um, the symbiotic relationship between the venue and the guest or mm-hmm. the person and the guest. Um, I think going forward experience is going to be a really big thing. I think gone are the days post vaccination, everything of like the massive bar hops, like the, I, I'm not sure when you travel, I, I, I do. This is where I, when I travel, I try, if I'm in a town for 48 hours, I'm sure it's all hitting like 15 bars in 48 yes. hours. One drink, one bite, move on. My Mm. wife hates it because she gets the pings every time I charge my credit card on her phone, (laughs) (laughs) and she's like, "Dude, you've been to seven bars in like five hours." I'm like, "Yep, I know, I know. I got, I got still got a few more to hit." (laughs) Um, I think there's going to be a reset to people, like from the consumer point of view, Mm. people are going to be thankful to come into your venue and expect an experience. Expect because it may be the only place they go to. Yeah, like that night, that your venue may be. The only place they go to the once a week, yeah. which goes yeah. back to like the the days of the fifties and sixties where people went out for an experience once a week as a, as a special occasion, a date night with the wife or the partner. And I think that's where it's going to sort of reset because the symbiotic relationship of take and give is going to be there. Yeah. But also I think it resets our industry, as operators, to really hone in absolutely everything—is your music on point? Now, most most operators, are like, oh yeah, I'm good with that. Is your music on point? Your uniforms are on point. Mm-hmm. The way your staff talk to guests, um, the way your menu looks—all these sort of like finite things—I mm-hmm. think are going to be even more heightened because if people are only going out once a week for that one major experience, that one mm-hmm. date night, your place better be it. Yeah, your place better be it. 100%. And. And I think that's where the change is going to come is it's sort of that reset, which fingers crossed, I'm really hoping for of, of that symbiotic relationship between guest and and venue. Because I think I know when I started in the industry in the late 90s, early 2000s, like especially cocktail culture, people would come in because they heard about it and they were coming in for like the experience of that, that what you heard about like that. And slowly but surely, we've sort of gone to this like, and franchise restaurants have sort of bred this of like being everything to everybody. When yeah. you're everything to everybody, all of a sudden you're nothing to nobody.
0: Correct. Um,
1: and I think the industry is going to reset that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that as operators, we're going to have to go one step further to really create an experience where people like leave your room just mentally and physically exhausted from how epic everything was
0: yeah do you you think there's a uh do you think there's a concept play for really great bars to to pop up inside people's restaurants and and be part of that sort of collaborative kind of experience moving forward because you know obviously we're seeing that in food delivery at the moment is a you know one kitchen might actually produce brands you know four or five (laughs) different brands now um for delivery um uh to you know to gain more revenue do you think you know bars will look to bigger venues or, or even smaller venues that they you know have a lot of uh, synergies with in order to you know pop up their brands into into those restaurants because uh, and the reason why I ask is I think and I really want your feedback here is the bar uh, the bar customer was obviously you obviously had you know singles and couples and groups and celebrations and stuff like that as well but then you've got this single demographic who would come to a bar in order to meet other singles, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that has probably dropped off because of online dating, you know, coming up the last three or four years. And now COVID, maybe the, you know, maybe another hit, you know, I just wonder how how bars are thinking about their revenue moving forward.
1: I think there's no holds barred. Mm. Like, I, I think COVID has sped up things that, like we wouldn't be having, if we didn't have COVID last year, we wouldn't be having this sort of conversation now. Yes. We'd be having it in like two to five years.
0: Yeah, like the, mm-hmm.
1: Bartenders as individuals have bigger brands now because of Instagram and TikTok and, and this sort of thing. So bartenders are starting to become social media and more so than they were before. Like the amount of bartenders, I think, with live chats and streams and Mm -hmm. doing their own cocktail kits and all this sort of stuff as individuals have a bigger brand Mm -hmm. bars are starting to jump on board with it too. And I think this has opened our eyes to where consumers really want to go long-term that cocktail kits at home. um, I've talked to a lot of um, bars and restaurants about doing QR codes where you scan, flick up to your smartphone and you watch YouTube video of, Sven Alleming from order V making a freaking cosmopolitan while you're making the cosmopolitan. Yeah. You know? yeah so, really like I think there's no whole bar. And I think romancing the past of what we should be in our little boxes
0: mm. is
1: something that's just the detriment of the industry. Would there yeah. be a restaurant saying, Oh, to go food doesn't really work for my brand. Well, your brand doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Pre-COVID existed. It doesn't exist anymore. If you're not doing takeout, which was going to become a consumer convenience highlight in the next two to five years, you're missing out on something. And it goes for bars as well. I think right now the industry is looking at itself and we've always sort of shunned new technology. We've always still done Excel spreadsheet, stock sheets, mm-hmm. like we've done inventory on Excel spreadsheet, regardless of how great the, the apps and everything that are out there most of us still do Excel spreadsheets. Let's be honest. Like that's what we do.
0: <laughs> I'm just um, tech, so.
1: Exactly. You know, so like social media marketing and stuff has never been, some restaurants have done it really, really well. Yeah. They've been outliers on the, the, the majority of restaurants and bars, not doing a great job. Mm. And all of a sudden when people are only at home, I think it's really stepped up. I yep. think you can see a ton of restaurants popping up in bars bars popping up in restaurants, bartenders and chefs popping up in different places. Yeah. I think we haven't seen the height of the the true celebrity chef. Yes. Um, and the celebrity bartender quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only difference you're going to see in the next 2 years on TV and stuff like that is that they're going to be professionals. Yeah. It's not going to be oh you're a food stylist that happens to cook okay, oh here's a show. You're yeah. going to have professionals and I think that's going to come from the raw authentic stories that restaurants and bars are telling on social media mm-hmm. that no, your chef doesn't wear makeup in the kitchen. Your mm-hmm. chef is a, a 250 pound bull bloke who makes really good steak. Yes. You know, your, your, your bartender doesn't look bright and perky at 10 AM in the morning. She's still asleep. I'm sorry. Like, I think that raw authentic story on Instagram and social media is pulling away this sort of like false bravado that we've always played in this industry. And this is I've talked about transparency a lot. Like we have the most horrible days as operators sometimes like you have a meeting with your accountant or you, again, like your chef is, your chef is angry or something happens. But then as soon as service starts, it's like, did it, did it, did it. Welcome folks. How you doing? Come and grab a seat. I'm having a great day. How are you having a good day? Oh, you want a whiskey sour? No problems at all. You know, and we, we, we mask our feelings, but social media, especially in the last 18 months has pulled that all away. I've yeah. seen chefs upset online. I've seen like really upset about like whether it be governments or landlords or anything. And I think all of this is leading to again, that breed of sy- symbiotic relationship, but it's also leading to uh, everybody leaning on everybody and not sort of poo pooing anybody's idea. Yes. But yeah, yes. I I'm, I'm looking at a no holds barred industry for the next like two to five years is where take out cocktail kits and QR codes and videos and pop-ups, mm. all this sort of stuff is going to be, ramp it just because people are going to really really want
0: it. Yeah. No, I I, I can't agree with you more Sean. Like I'm I'm thinking like going back to the celebrity chef kind of barista and and bartender kind of thing. Like I think social media is definitely at a time now and I really want to hear about how you got your social media presence up because you're, you know, you're killing it right now. Um and I I think those integral people in the business whether they be a front of house service manager who's Freaking amazing! Does an amazing, you know, an amazing service for a guest, uh, an amazing rock star chef, a fantastic bartender who does the best, you know, whiskey sour or whatnot, and a barista who does, you know, the best, the best new age coffee that is happening. Um, I think you're going to see them play as almost resident, you know, resident DJs in a nightclub. Like they're going to be in a venue for a week, or they're going to be in a venue for three months or something like that, and they're going to have enough. Um, social media presence in order to bring a new type of clientele to that particular venue. I think that's going to be really interesting to see and play out. Um, but I want to talk about how you increased, you know, your social media presence, because obviously you're killing it. As I just said, you're on, you know, a lot of different platforms. Obviously we connected on LinkedIn and, and you've been on a couple of my LinkedIn mate shows clubhouse and stuff like that as well. LinkedIn and Clubhouse, we, we connected through LinkedIn through clubhouse. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And you've and you've been on a couple of my friends' podcasts as well, so like it's been it's been an impressive ride. Um, but how so? How have you done that? Has that just been trial and error? Are you focusing on certain things in order to, you know, get your social media sort of um, numbers up? So to speak, Sean. I don't think there's any special
1: key to social media. I think putting out as much content as you can on a daily basis is good. I put about. I would say close to 50, 50 something pieces of content out a day. Wow. Um, which which is a lot. And that's across all my platforms. That's across LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and BC Spirits and SHC and the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the key. I think if you read too much in analytics, that's where it sort of shoots you in the foot a little bit. Right. So we were talking about TikTok before like Mm -hmm. we got started. Mm -hmm. And I've been watching TikTok for about a year and a bit. And I've been watching it, looking at the cocktail videos, seeing what's sort of happening, the age gap, what's trending, and it was around the start of December that I was starting to see some decent little bartenders, like they were still kitschety cool um, on the platform. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? Let's 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 test this out. Let's let's do like three or four videos, bang them out, and then. See how it resonates and goes, and I think it was my third or fourth like serious video on the platform got like five hundred thousand views wow. and over a thousand comments, and it was an old fashioned video, so mm-hmm. you can imagine the sort of turmoil that old fashions bring to people's opinions. <laughs> and I find I do find that the on TikTok especially when you do post cocktail videos, people have a lot of opinions. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, until recently, everybody in Wisconsin hated me. Um, because, why? A well, there, there's so there's a classic old fashioned that you and I know and love, yep. like mm-hmm. bourbon, mm-hmm. simple bitters, orange peel. Yeah. In Wisconsin, like only in Wisconsin, doesn't happen anywhere else. Just in Wisconsin, the state, they do theirs with brandy and muddled orange and muddled cherries. What? And a sugar cube and bitters and like seven dashes of bitters, all muddled. Ooh. Two ounces of brandy. And then top with Sprite or Sour Soda. What? <laughs> so this is a, this is a classic from pre-prohibition. Um, lots of Germans settled in Wisconsin. Okay. Um, in the 19 1910s, 1920s, must have been the 1910s. Uh, Corbell brandy from Wisconsin released at the Chicago World's Fair. Everybody loved it and fell in love with it. And it's it's got a whole story unto itself. And it's crazy because like we go to a bar and we order an old fashioned, you're going to get an old fashioned money Mm -hmm. in this state. They order brandy, old fashioned, sweet, brandy, old fashioned, sour, SoCo, old fashioned, sweet, SoCo, old fashioned, sour, whiskey, old fashioned sweet. And it comes with like, whether it be seven up or Sprite or um, uh, a sour grapefruit soda, this is all legit. I'm legit telling you the real story right now.
0: Google this after the podcast. <laughs> fantastic. And yeah. then
1: they garnish it with I've had olives this week. Olives. What? Mushrooms. Mushrooms, like pickled mushrooms, and pickled Brussels sprouts as a garnish. This, oh, this, this is blowing my mind. Okay. <laughs> this is all legit. What would you like, put like so Brussels
0: sprouts? <laughs>
1: This is all legit. All depending on the region they come from in Wisconsin, like so, different parts of Wisconsin do it differently. Yes. And so, after my old fashioned video got so much hate, I was like, "Screw it! I'm gonna do a I'm gonna study and research the Wisconsin old fashioned, and I'm gonna do a Wisconsin old fashioned for everybody in WI." So I did one over the weekend. It blew up again. Right. Um, but for me, social media overall is about being consistent, changing up what you post. Mm -hmm. Um, I do everything from cocktail videos on TikTok, which I never post anywhere else. Yeah. Instagram can be everything from business to personal Mm -hmm. talking about mental health, my podcast, everything. Uh, SHC, I try and keep to business and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. but I think for social media, you just got to do it. And I'm, I'm a massive Gary V fan. Like I'm a huge Gary V fan. Mm -hmm. Um, and he always says document over create. So whether you're a person trying to build a personal brand or you're a restaurant tour, or you're a chef, mm-hmm. like you have stuff in your life that you can take photos of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like people, people go, well, nobody's going to care about the veggie veggie delivery. I'm like, unless you take the farm where those veggies came from and people go, oh, I wonder if they have a farmer's market. Like, yeah, it's a shotgun blast against the wall. Mm-hmm. And one thing will always pierce for someone like everybody will always have something pierce that wall for a different reason percent You know, so I know on TikTok when I do my little like philosophical stuff that I do on my Instagram that resonates really well for my Instagram audience, it doesn't resonate too much. Everybody's like dance monkey dance, make me a freaking cocktail. And so I stick with that. <laughs> so like from zero to almost 30,000 followers on TikTok, I know what resonates with my TikTok fan. But that being said, when I do post those, those little, I posted a, a video on TikTok the other day about um, the negative voice in your head isn't yours. The negative yeah. voice in your head is your teacher, your parents, whatever. And you should just nix anyone that's negative in your life out of your life. I don't care if they're a family member or your mom or anything. If your mom and dad don't ex- don't like understand and respect what you do, just don't have them in your life. I know it's really hard and people go, oh, you're a heartless prick. And I'm like, but I have no negativity. And so um, I think for, but then people reached out to me. I was like, this is really, this is really good. Thank you so much for this. I was, I wasn't feeling it. I was like, you know, that two comments on a video, that got like 1500 views compared to uh, my white Russian video, which is at like 30,000 views right now with people saying, hey dude, um, over and over and over again. Um, so I, I, I sort of scream. And I think the real root of it all, like, let's get, let's, let's, let's next this conversation and figure out exactly, do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything on social media that for anybody else doesn't matter about your audience. Doesn't matter like, about anything, like do it for yourself mm-hmm. because unless you're doing it to make you happy, whether it be today or next week or the end game of whatever you're posting on social media with building up your business and stuff mm. at the end of the day, you have to do it yourself. Cause if you're doing it to put it out there in the world, and I'm sure you feel the same way with podcasts, yeah. there's, there's episodes that resonate. There's episodes that's not. And mm-hmm. sometimes you're like, Oh man, like that, that episode took a really long time to like tee up and research and like record and edit and do all this sort of stuff. And then you're like looking at the things going refresh, refresh, refresh. People and you're listen. like, Oh, should I be doing this anymore? Does anyone care? Yeah. Like, and then all of a sudden, like something else will click or you'll do something different and you, you won't even subconsciously, you'll subconsciously not even think about it and it won't register. And then all of a sudden you get 1500 listens over 24 hours and you're like, oh, but what did I do different? So yeah. if, I think that's the big thing is I think everything in life as well as social media is anything like anything online has to be for yourself first. Mm-hmm. Everything else is a, as a tertiary or a secondary, uh,
0: motive. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, Two more questions before I let you go excuse me um most important what do you think uh two of the most two or three of the most important things that business owners can do right now in the in the bar space or in the restaurant space if you want to talk about that as well to stabilize their business right now if they're in if they're in sort of in north america um because obviously you you know we've just talked about at length like the challenging times that that obviously canada's going through and 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 everyone you know is feeling the same thing about things consistently uh consistently changing like what are the couple of things that you're doing at the bar that uh, are making sure that you can stabilize the business sean
1: i think the big one is stop thinking that the past was good our industry was broken this is this is a big one. Our industry was broken for a long time. You know, we've seen ninety-year-old restaurants with huge brand equity that you would assume have paid off a lot of their debts, and that sort of thing shutting during this time. Yeah. So let's not let's not be let's not be romancing a past that was broken. Inclusivity mm-hmm. and diversity, in our industry broken. Like a living wage, not so much in Australia, but it's still broken to a degree worldwide. Yeah. Um, let's not romance this sort of this past that we have a huge opportunity to come out of this way better than we went into it. Yeah. And it's been someone I've been preaching from the get go. If something wasn't working for your business and you thought you had to hold on to it because your consumer liked it or that guest liked it, now is an opportunity to fully reset and and really think about. What's coming in the future, and consumers have changed in the last eighteen months. They're never going to behave the same as they did before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the first step is to understand that what you had is gone,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: what you what you strive to have even during before COVID is still gone. Yes. And so it's time to like stop, take a breath, really take a breath, and ask yourself some serious questions. Mm-hmm. Like, is this the industry you want to be in? There's a lot of operators out there that were stuck in this opportunity, stuck in the industry, thinking they didn't have a way out. Yeah. So I think there's a there's a lot of internal questions we need to really push forward mm-hmm. to understand that this industry it can come out much better. Is our hiring practices for inclusivity and diversity a big portion of our life, or are we still just hiring inside our little cliques? Yeah. I'm I'm guilty of it. I'm happy to admit it.
0: Absolutely. I think
1: we all are. You know, we we trust what we know. Um, we trust what we know and trust our the the click or the circle we run in, but how do we bring more people and more diverse and more inclusivity into that? Um, I think this is an opportunity just to look at our costs and see if your rent is the right rent that you should be paying. Because again, you can you can change up and move locations. Mm-hmm. It's just an opportunity to really stop and really think about everything, every line of expense that we have on our P&Ls. How do we keep our costs down? Um, and it's gonna it's gonna mold a lot more models. Now, I'm not saying every fine dining restaurant should go to a QSR in any way, shape, or form. But is there a way that you can? not necessarily have that as big a menu as you had food or wine or anything. Like there's a lot of things to tie in and dial in. And really, I think there's an opportunity to stop and look at what consumers are doing because there's a lot of times that we drive ourselves to a point based on what we think people want. Mm -hmm. And we've really got to sort of balance that out with what are the consumers willing to do? Yeah. You know, like is a better to go program um, better? I think, there's going to be massive, this is going to be a different conversation, but a massive delivery app war this year. I think delivery apps this year, there's going to be one person that comes in and goes, I'm going to disrupt the whole freaking thing. I yes. want all the, I want all the restaurants at 10% commission instead mm-hmm. of a third of the restaurants at 30%. There's yeah. going to be someone who's going to do that. It's going to blow up. But I think, I think that the internalization of why we're in the industry, how we can make our industry better is the biggest step out of all of those. And that comes down to expenses down to how we schedule, how we do our training. Um, I think I've been doing a lot of, um, talking about break even points. There's a lot of rep- operators out there that don't know what their break even point is. Mm-hmm. Like that's a big issue. You know, I, I've talked to a lot that don't know what their cover count is and what the per head spend is like right now I'm praising my staff whenever we have a really good per head spend because, at the end of the day, I can't do much more to get more bums and seats. But can I get every single cent out of that bum while it's in that seat is mm-hmm. way more important to me through education, through tastings, through absolutely everything, through social media marketing, through everything mm-hmm. to, to make sure that I'm maximizing the profit. Because we've got reduced seating. We, we, we are getting those. You can't dine outside your bubble. So you've got twos and fours. So how do you maximize the money that you've got coming in while minimizing the cost it costs to put that out. Yeah. So for me, a lot of my cocktails are a higher prep, quick service. So mm-hmm. I can put out a lot of cocktails real quick at a much higher price point. Mm-hmm. But the prep wise is much more in the back end. So mm-hmm. it's a, like a lower labor, but you can bang out more drinks. And I think service standards and systems and how quickly we can put out our food, a lot of restaurants don't run at, Ticket times, which I find is an incredibly crazy, like Mm -hmm. three-tier ticket times. Like, okay, so if you're doing 12 minutes to 15 minutes, we're tier one, we're making money, everybody's happy, yay. 15 Mm -hmm. to 17, you know, it's a busy night. We're trading water, we're doing okay. Guests Mm -hmm. aren't unhappy, staff aren't unhappy, everybody's sort of just happy right now. And then tier three after like 22 minutes, like everybody's pissed. Yeah. Okay. Let's tighten that up.
0: Line, isn't there? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. so I think it's just looking this inward and, and really understand that this industry has been broken for a long time
0: mm-hmm. in,
1: in a lot of regards. And mm-hmm. I honestly think coming out of this industry and in thing, and this comes for, goes to staff as well. If you're a staff member and with all the free training that's been given out there, I know bar smarts here in the U S was doing a whole thing. Um, Ananias was doing a whole free thing for, for staff as well. If you haven't done all these free things that were offered to you during COVID when you had nothing to do, yes you, you have to understand when the rehiring process really starts it's going to be a very wide pond and a very deep pond yes and operators and owners are going to be able to pick some really great staff mm-hmm. who have epic education and epic um qualifications mm-hmm. um over people who have just sort of been skating by
0: yeah exactly like um yeah hopefully hopefully most, most of the people who listen to both our podcasts haven't been sleeping during this time Sean, so without, oh geez, I hope not fingers crossed <laughs> um, Well last question too, my friend is what are you looking forward to most in 2021
1: I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunities I, I've, I i I saw the end of 2020 and don't get me wrong I've had my down I, I think everybody has everybody's like been like, oh why am I doing this and yeah. I think there's entrepreneurship life in general but it's just been, and I, I talked about this to someone else the other day. hospitality entrepreneurship is like this extra level of crap. You have to sort of dig through. It's like, I'm an entrepreneur. Awesome. Are you in the tech sector? No, I'm in hospitality. It's like, Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> but I, I think, I think, uh, the opportunities, are Epic. I think there's a lot of opportunities to help our industry. And yeah. so for me, um, while it is a, it can take up a lot of time, um, helping out people, mentoring a ton, um, and sort of e- giving some equilibrium to the industry is uh, a huge focus of mine um, for 2021. And just the opportunities, there's a lot of opportunities that if you're uh, clever and doing it for the right reasons for the industry, not money. Um, I I've seen a lot of people like taking opportunities for money. I'm like, come on, dude, like you're going to try and start a delivery app and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And I'm like, unless you're doing better stuff for the industry, like it doesn't make sense. Um, but the betterment of the industry is really a a massive opportunity for 2021 that we can really like really take by the horns and, and make it make a difference.
0: Yeah. Sean, it's been such a joy to, um, to have you on, Uh, today's podcast mate so thanks so much for joining me and the audience what is the best way that people can connect with you over all your social media because you are (laughs) feeling it you're doing so many different things i know everyone's going to want to speak to you after this podcast drops especially in canada so um how can they best reach out to you my friend literally
1: if you google like i actually googled this the other day i'm the only sean sewell with my spelling in the world
0: wow that's pretty cool
1: yeah so if you just google my name with s-h-a-w-n sewell you yeah. will find me very, very quickly.
0: Awesome. All
1: right. But, yeah. So look, look that up. You can hit me up on Instagram, Facebook, SA like Sewell Hospitality Concepts on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I, I answer questions from apps. I take orders and talk to people on every platform I can possibly imagine. So, um, but yeah, if you type in Google, my name, you'll find, you'll find me pretty damn quickly, but <laughs> uh, yeah, you can hit me up on any platform. I'm always open on absolutely everything.
0: I'll make sure I link that up in the show notes and um, make sure people can contact you. So, Sean.
1: Really appreciate it, man. This is awesome.
0: Thanks, man. so much for listening to this episode of principal hospitality the podcast i hope you really got something out of it as i said at the start of the podcast if you can like comment and share this with people either inside the industry or people outside the industry which you think are going to find it valuable then it would mean the world to us suppose so please do that also wanted to make sure that i'm actually introducing my co-founder sash fernando from principal design one of the most amazing design studios in Melbourne if not the country they're award winning they are dealing in strategy, branding, digital design and graphic design so make sure you just check them out at principaldesign.com.au. and if you don't know me and what I do I come from over 20 years in the hospital industry and I've got my brand called Open Pantry Consulting so all you need to do is go to openpantryconsulting.com and you'll be able to find out everything that I involve myself with in this fantastic industry I hope you enjoyed this podcast it's going to be an exciting 2021 for us we're looking forward to sharing it with you until next time please stay safe look after each other